Welcome to Talking Kotlin. I'm here today at Basecamp headquarters with Jay Ohms. And we're going to be discussing a little bit the usage of Kotlin and the adoption of Kotlin and their use of Kotlin in their main Android application, Basecamp. Hi, Jay. Hey, welcome. Thanks for coming. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Great <laughs> offices, by the way, I have to say. Oh, thank you. Really nice. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, I'm an Android developer here in Chicago, and I work for Basecamp. And currently, uh, we're working on our product, Basecamp 3. And we've been working on that for the last couple of years. And um, we have a small team on the Android side. We've got two programmers, myself and, and Dan Kim, and then a designer, uh, Jamie DeHanson. And so uh, the three of us are at the helm on the Android side, and we use Scotland, which is why you're here. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that surprised me was actually the size of the team, right? Essentially, it is like you and Dan, and Dan Kim being the other developer, um, who's been quite vocal around his excitement around Kotlin, which is great. Uh, he's written some blog posts that have gotten a lot of traction. And it's just you two then, and then there's a there's a designer, right? Yep, that's correct, yeah. Um, Basecamp's, you'll see this throughout the company, our philosophy uh, for a long time has been to stay small and lean as much as possible. And uh, one of the benefits we get from that is to be nimble and flexible and um, have a lot of autonomy on each team. So uh, Kotlin was one of those things where we didn't go to a superior and say, hey, we're thinking about using Kotlin. Uh, what, what do you think? Uh, we just started trying it and not in production initially, but we just decided to write a little bit of code and see where it went. And we were excited initially. And that was before the 1.0, uh, starting with the 1.0 version. And I remember telling Dan, I said, you know, I'm a little leery. Like, we don't know when this is going to be 1.0. It's It's been in pre 1.0 phase for a few years. I said, when it hits 1.0, let's go for it. And I kid you not, the next week it hit 1.0. Yeah, we knew. We knew you were waiting. So. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, so I we saw the we saw the announcement for 1.0. I was like, oh man, we got to do it. So yeah. yeah, I mean, it was in development for probably around six years, just just hitting six years, right? Because it a little bit, yeah, about five and a half. Because it started in 2010, and we released 1.0 in February 2016. So it was quite a while. And reading recently, you guys wrote, uh, well, Dan was wrote a, another blog post around how you got to 100% Kotlin, which is fantastic because, you know, I've been talking to a bunch of different companies that have been using Kotlin for Android. And a lot of them are at like, okay, we're at 15%, we're at 20%, we're at 30%. You guys are 100% Kotlin. And and we'll go into that a little bit of how you kind of got there. But one thing that really pointed out to me when I was reading the post was this concept of happiness, right? And it's funny because it's something that I often say as well, like, you know, it's I enjoy Kotlin. So can you tell me a little bit more of like, was this a real deal for you guys in terms of actual happiness? Yeah, so just a little backstory there. Um, we had a year and a half of Java code in our app. So 
you know, we didn't start a fresh app in Kotlin. So it was, we had to make an intentional decision start to start using Kotlin um, and to, uh, you know, really work hard to convert a lot of the previous code that we had. But our decision was mostly centered around happiness. So like programmer happiness. I, I think that um, DHH, uh, um, David Heinemann, David Heinemeyer Hansen, our, um, who works at Basecamp, creator of Ruby on Rails, he speaks a lot about his happiness with uh, Ruby. And for me, being on the Android side, Ruby has never been that language for me. But I think we took some inspiration from, from his sentiment around use a program, use a language that's... Uh, that's that fits your goals and that makes you happy and so we'd been using kotlin for or sorry we've been using java for years i mean uh we didn't really have much of a choice on the android side and so it was just a tool to uh, do the job when we found kotlin our eyes started started to open up a bit and we asked ourselves, like, do we have to write Java anymore? Um, uh, looking at so many of the tools that Kotlin gave us and uh, writing, I mean, f- what who, what programmer doesn't want to write less code to do the same thing? Yeah. And what we were seeing was we were writing anywhere from 15 to 30% less code per feature using Kotlin over Java. Uh, depending on what feature it was. And you guys went straight into production code, right? I mean, you didn't start with tests. Right, right. So, yeah, so we essentially started one file at a time. So I think the first feature we wrote was, um, it was essentially just a class that sucked in a JSON configuration file uh, when the app started up, and which described behavior in the app and set that up and that was it um that's how we started with kotlin and it worked really well uh as far as how we could write that class in a much easier way uh so we we took it slowly at first uh just out of caution we didn't know there weren't many articles at that point about um this was when did 1.0 come out Uh, 2016 yeah so like Maybe February or yeah. March. Yeah. 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 So um our first production code probably went out within a month of one hitting uh release. So but that was, you know, that was a few hundred lines of code or whatever it was. So um but beyond that point we quickly realized like this is a language that we wouldn't invest into. And our goal from that point forward was uh, let's try not to write new Java. And uh, when we develop new features, they'll be in Kotlin. And as we start refreshing screens, as we start refactoring things, when it makes sense, we'll convert those to Kotlin, uh, the old Java classes. Yeah. And one of the things I was going to ask is, you know, you are a two two-person team, right? Uh, because the third person is more around design, so yep. they're not yep. actually writing code as such, I assume. Yep. Right? You, you know, you were saying to me earlier that 
the way that Basecamp is run, you get pretty much freedom. So your ultimate responsibility and something that Dan had also pointed out in the blog post is, you know, it's the customer, right? Did you get concerned that at some points, like, you know, we have, there's two of us, we need to deliver features. You know, the, the Basecamp is evolving as a product. We need to evolve our Android support for it. How can we balance this? Was that ever a concern? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of like competing things there. So on the one side, uh, we've got to adopt a different language. We're going to have to balance two different languages in the app. Even though they work great together, it's still a little bit of overhead. Um, that's in competition with can we write features faster in Kotlin? Are we happier doing it? Uh, if we're if we feel like we're more productive and happier writing those features in Kotlin, then ultimately that's a huge win for the customers because we're uh, writing less code to ship stuff faster, and um, that's I think that ultimately that's what's important. Is w we have a philosophy where we like to ship an app update pretty much every week. Uh, usually it's a big feature every two weeks, and then the next week is bug fixes. And usually what happens there is either Dan or I is working on a big feature, and then uh, that will ship every... So like say I'm working on a big feature, that'll ship in a couple weeks. And then the next week might be a smaller feature that Dan worked on. And then we'll flip. So then he'll work on a bigger feature and I'll work on something smaller, a couple smaller things yeah. along with bug fixes. So you have complete code share as well. I mean, there's like you share ownership of the code, yep. right? Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, there's, we're always working. I mean, there's no parts of the code base where I'm in charge of this area and Dan's in charge of another area. There's certain areas that we've worked more on than others, but no, we, we share responsibilities completely and we like to um, because there's only two of us we really like to mix it up so if i'm working on a ui feature for a while i'll shift to back end work uh, and then dan will work on ui features um, and that just keeps us fresh um, and not getting stale the same stuff and the second point of this blog post was around speed right and you've mentioned it you know i ha we can compensate having two languages, having to refactor existing code with speed. Do you, do you really feel an improvement in speed using Kotlin? Yeah, absolutely. I think that comes in a few different areas. Um, we, we make heavy use of uh, Anko in, we, we, do not, we don't use the DSL portions of Anko right now, but we do use a lot of the extensions that are available, um, the synthetic view properties that are there, all that stuff. And that stuff, for example, also like the do async um, uh, extensions as well that allow you to throw stuff to the background. Yeah, this was all before the coroutines were came in came into place. So, a lot of the mundane, tedious stuff yeah. in Android that was never really resolved by Google. Uh, there, there are different libraries out there like Butterknife and all sorts of like background work libraries and stuff like that but being a first class citizen in Kotlin was a huge uh, huge win for us and the simplicity and being able to do all those mundane things every day 
uh, really easily has been super powerful for us. So we have no doubt that we're writing code faster than we ever did in Java. That's great to hear. And so it's interesting that you use Anko. And I was about to say, wait, yeah, you use Anko. And then you said, but we don't use DSL stuff. <laughs> I've yet to find someone that does. Uh, what is your part? What is your reason behind not doing that? Yeah. Um, Be completely open about this. Like, yeah. I think, I think it's mostly about, I think, well, I think like adopting Kotlin in the first place was about having friction in our daily work and uh, having a solution to, to counteract that friction that Java presented us with. I think with the DSL nature of Kotlin, it wasn't really a friction that we were feeling a whole lot. Um, I, I find myself like I'm. I feel very fluent in the XML yeah. layouts that Android has. I totally recognize that that could be easier. Um, at the same time, like Google's also pushing their constraint layouts with using their IDE tools to create layouts uh, as well. So there's a little bit of uncertainty there. Like we're starting to just now explore constraint layout and constraint layouts and seeing what that means for our code base. Mm -hmm. If we do that and if we end up liking the IDE tools, then the DSL like view parts of Anko wouldn't really benefit us exactly. at all. So it's, it was a little bit of, I think part of it was let's just use the, you know, the, native language features uh, first. And I think I, I'd always been intrigued by the GSLs in Anko, but all these conflicting things, I just hadn't, haven't circled back around to it. So okay. do, you know, do you know of people that are, are using it heavily? There are some. Uh, and in fact, there was recently, someone had written a blog post about how performance was better using Anko, obviously, because, mm. you know, in terms of not having to you know, it's essentially, it is code, right? Yeah. As opposed to parsing yeah. the XML. Um, but generally, the people that I talk to, it is mostly around no. You know, mm -hmm. we don't use it. Some people do use, like yourselves, the, the extension methods that are provided, extension functions. And, and as I've said many times, you know, that's why we're considering splitting that off into two libraries, right? Because a lot of people interpret it as either everything or, or nothing. Right? Yeah. yeah, I think it's the... Um there's a uh, advanced feature section of the Anko documentation. Yeah. And that section we use very heavily. It's all of the uh, extension properties or functions that are accessible. Like, for example, getting access to uh, a system service is context.mysystemService, whatever the name of it is, versus in Android, it's a very verbose uh, you've got that context and then you've got to get the system service and pass in a, a constant value and it's annoying. Yeah. So a lot of that stuff, a lot of that just like tedious API stuff um, is uh, just goes away. Yeah. And what about the Kotlin Android extensions? You're familiar with those? The 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 ability to it's it's a plugin for Android Studio or IntelliJ that essentially allows you to have a statically typed reference to a UI element as opposed to having to do the find view by ID and then oh yeah cast we it. we use that 
exclusively throughout the app. Okay. So I don't think we have a single find. Well, maybe in like some uh, um, custom layouts and stuff, we would still use find view by ID, but we use those extension uh, properties everywhere throughout our code. Yeah, that that is useful, right? I'm guessing. There, oh, it's so useful, and and it's it already casts for you. Um, it knows the type. It casts it automatically for you. So it's so. It's just writing less code. Yeah, and refactoring-wise, it's it's beneficial as well, yeah. Yep, yep, yeah, totally. If you're using Kotlin or planning to, make sure you check out KotlinConf, a conference taking place in sunny San Francisco on the 2nd and 3rd of November 2017. It's a two-day event packed with Kotlin content by industry experts with keynotes from Andre Breslav and Eric Meyer. So whether it's back-end, front-end, mobile, or native, Kotlin Conf is the place to be this year. That's Kotlin Conf, C-O-N-F dot com. Hope to see you there. Going back to Anko a little bit and the DSL, you know, understood that you are comfortable with XML. But have you had any usage of defining your own kind of DSL with Kotlin for Basecamp, whether it's, you know, at a infrastructure level or in terms of the business domain? Do you do anything like that? No, we we don't right now. Um, we use, we do have configurations that we that we that shared between the apps and and the web, but we use pretty much exclusively exclusively just JSON for for those. So we aren't creating our own. We haven't used the DSL uh, nature of Kotlin currently, but the. So the application is essentially, I'm assuming, talking to an HTTP endpoint, yep. right? Yep. yep. Uh, so a lot of the business logic and that is done on the server side, right? So yeah, you don't that's... really have much on the client side in that sense, no? Correct. Yeah, we we try to keep the apps as data uh, light as possible. So we cache. We, we keep a light caching layer of all of our API, API calls, both at the HTTP level and um, just like light data stores. But as far as core business logic, all of that stuff is done through the APIs uh, through the server. So that takes care of a lot of that stuff for us. So we, it's one of the reasons why it allows us to only have two programmers on the Android side and two programmers on the iOS side as well. So um, Rails does so much of the heavy lifting for us that we, we get a benefit. And one of the things that's, you know, it has drawbacks. We, we can't do some of the things we want to client side maybe that we would love to. But one of the, one of the things it lets us do is the more we get to offload to the server, the more attention, the detail we get to put into the rest of the app. Yeah. So that's one of the things that we get to benefit from. And the back end is still purely a Rails app. Uh, yeah. So we have, um, I mean, it's more complex than that. We have we have a lot of legacy at Basecamp. The company is 17, or 17 years old. Um, and so we've got different Rails apps that, like, we have a Rails app that handles authentication, ones that han- handles identity for uh, users, and then, but Basecamp 3 product is one single Rails app. Yep. How recent is Basecamp 3? When I mean, when you say 
is, I mean, so there's, you've yeah. got, it's not legacy, it's written yeah, from so, scratch or? Yeah, so we, we've taken a different approach than a lot of software companies. So, or at least web software companies. So a lot of companies will just continue to iterate f- kind of forever. Or maybe they'll have a big rewrite and, um, you know, release that. And some users will love it and some will absolutely hate it. Uh, Basecamp takes a little bit different approach. So every Basecamp Classic, uh, which was the very first version, we call it Classic now. It obviously wasn't called that then. But uh, that was back in early 2000s when that shipped. Uh, And then, I believe, and then uh, in 2000, uh, getting my years mixed up, but uh, around 2011-ish, maybe, uh, Base uh, Basecamp 2 uh, was launched. And essentially, anyone on the Classic could stay on Classic for as long as they wanted to. They could keep paying, and uh, they can move to they could move to Basecamp 2 whenever they wanted. We weren't really pressuring people. Like Basecamp recognizes that people are paying us good money for the product. And the worst thing that we could do is interrupt their workflow. Yeah. It's a different trade-off. It means that we have to honor our legacy and take care of it. But it also means that we don't have to alienate half of our customer base when we ship a big new fancy version. So in late 2015, we launched Basecamp 3. And that did the same thing that we did from classic to two. We, uh, Customer, we still have some customers on Classic actually that continue to pay. They like it, they know it, um, but you know we we know they know that there's not as many. It doesn't have the same features that two or three have. So we're on, we're on version three right now, and um, our CEO has has said that every three to five years, four to five years maybe, um, we'll ship a new brand new version for customers, and they can update when they want to but ruby and Rails still is you know part of Basecamp, right yep yep so a lot of the um uh a lot of the foundational work for big new rails versions come from needs from new versions of Basecamp directly so we uh there's a whole new uh WebSocket layer in Rails now called Action Cable. That came from a need of us integrating Campfire, which is our chat tool, directly into Basecamp. And the tools were finally available to have WebSockets working um, in a reliable way across browsers. So that was one of the things. But the open source community for Rails is huge as well. We don't we don't do everything, but we certainly David still guides a lot of a lot of the um, Rails decisions there. And you're familiar with Ruby yourself or not? You know, so I came in uh, not knowing hardly anything about Rails, and I still don't know that much. Uh, but one of the thing, one of the interesting things about our team setups is our goals as di- for different teams is not to um, depend on other teams to ship features. So if we if we need an API for a new feature from, for the mobile apps, we go in and we create the APIs for that. Uh, we'll get help along the way, but it's our responsibility 
uh, to do that for the mobile team. So we are in there writing uh, new Rails code, um, editing Rails code, but the more majority of that work is done by our core product team. So you are familiar a little bit then with Ruby, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so the, enough for me to ask you, like, as a Kotlin developer now that you are, what are your sentiments around uh, Ruby uh, in, you know, going back to this concept of happiness? Do you see a similarity there in yeah, any so way? I think that, so when I'm in, I guess first, like I love statically typed languages, like that makes sense to me. Um, so R Ruby is not that, but what Ruby is, is when I look at the Basecamp code, um, uh, in Rails, I'm I'm pretty floored by how much work is being done with so little code. It's kind of remarkable, and just in a very pretty way. Um, I never felt great about how my Java looked, um, but I think that writing Kotlin now, it it's actually focused us a lot more on like how does our code, not only does like, how does it work, but how does it look and how does it read, and I feel like we have a lot more choices and how we can make our code look better and make it look more readable for each other and express and, it right and, and express it and and yeah. future people um that that may come in yeah but i mean in terms of you know the back end have you guys ever considered anything else other than uh ruby and rails or is it like that's part for, of what for Basecamp? yeah um I don't think so. I mean, I'm not really involved in that side of the decision making, but I think that like Basecamp is so heavily invested in the Rails community. Yeah. I think that for that to change, our needs would have to change significantly. And right now, what we have works really well for our small company, and um, and we, I think people are surprised at how many we only have. I think we have less than a dozen programmers here at Basecamp. And the amount of work and open source contributions that um, those programmers put out there is kind of remarkable yeah. for, for that size. And again, it goes back to, you know, if there's no need, why? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing, and, and you said that you started to look at Kotlin yourself, right? Uh, because you felt there was a need. There was, there yeah. was a problem that you were trying to solve, right? So yep. if you don't have a problem, there's no need to change. Yeah. Know? So one of the things that you mentioned also was that you have an iOS app and there's two people on that. And yep. I'm assuming, is this Objective-C or is it Swift? Yeah, so it's 100% Swift. Um, so they, Basecamp 3 launched in October of 2015. Uh, and they, they, I think they had a little bit of Objective-C code, more of as bridges between uh, the limitations of Swift at the time. Swift has evolved in those two years, obviously. And um, and so now it's 100% Swift, yeah. And with the news around Kotlin native, has there been any thought around, you know, if this eventually does hit iOS, maybe we could use Kotlin for iOS development as well? Or is that not too early? Well, to we're cer we certainly joked on the Android side that we're going to take over their development with Kotlin. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that, I think for, on the iOS side, I mean, it's hard to argue with an, a language that's uh, um, 
a first party language supported by Apple. Exactly. Um, you yeah. know, they they have a clear direction and all their example code is going to be in Swift. For example, their their libraries, their APIs are going to be in Swift. Um, but I think that time will tell there. I mean, I, like you said, I think if there's a need, uh, people will switch. I think that one of the things right now I hear so much on the iOS side is the tooling is so poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people are frustrated by the lack of tooling for Swift specifically. It's much better for Objective-C. Maybe Apple will catch up there, but I think that that's one of the pain points that uh, developers are, are feeling right now on the iOS side. Yeah, I mean, we make tools for iOS as well, and even in you know openly saying that we still lack quite a bit of refactoring and support mm. for for Swift as well, and of course it doesn't. It's not easier either when there are breaking changes, um, mm. which is because Swift has been evolving quite fast, like yeah. you know way faster pace than than Kotlin and and many other languages. So, how many users do you have in terms of the Android uh, application, roughly? Yeah. yeah. Um more than more than a hundred thousand um this so this is just for basecamp three so we've got uh m- because the product's uh more young than basecamp two um companies gradually switch over and part of it is like we when we started basecamp three it did have less features so as we add more companies are switching over to basecamp three um so I think I think that's our. I know we're in like the hundred thousand to five hundred thousand range on the Play Store. I haven't looked at the exact numbers uh, in a while, though. And as a company now that has a hundred percent code base in Kotlin, what do you recommend to people that want to start using Kotlin in their Android applications? Yeah, uh, I think there's a couple things. I think starting starting small is a good idea. Um, especially for existing apps. Uh, I would say it. a great idea would also just be create a sample app just in Kotlin and, and try it out. But if you're in a situation where you've got a big production app, don't try to uh, select all your files and convert directly to Kotlin. Yeah, no, you don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to learn anything from that. And if stuff breaks, like that's on you. So, yeah. Um, but what I would say is like start with independent features that are Kotlin. Um, I would say don't start with your core. Uh, like if you've got a core set of tool, libraries or frameworks uh, that's used throughout the whole app, maybe that's not the best place to start just because you've got to inter- interop with Java and Kotlin everywhere then. And so you're going to have all these changes in your code base that may, might be unnecessary. I would say start in isolated areas of your app. Maybe it's a feature, maybe it's a screen. But not necessarily a test, right? Which is what a lot of people always recommend. I hate writing tests, so I don't, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't think if you're going to actually experience Kotlin in how you would use it every day, that's not through a test. Yeah, because it's so, limited to what you can do, right? I mean, at the end of the day. Right, and I mean, you're still going to be using whatever APIs you're using for your test framework versus Kotlin does give you so many new tools. Uh, like, for example, I think the standard library functions that are available, so, so many of them are so helpful, like the collections. Um, 
APIs in the standard library are just far beyond in, in what Java has and more clear. I find them much easier to grok than than Java. So you don't get, but you don't get to take advantage of those if you're writing tests. Exactly. Yeah. You aren't going to be writing extension functions, for example, if you're writing tests. Yeah. I don't think that would really help you. Yeah. Much. I mean, the surface area of what you can explore and what you can do is really limited to the scope of yeah. writing and, tests. And one of the, I think one of the most fun things about Kotlin is it takes Android from being the Android's a very uh, it's there's a lot of API quirks whether it's verbose APIs whether it's obscure APIs uh, that you can't really change uh, but what you can do with Kotlin is wrap those APIs that you don't like in your own nice clean version yeah that you could never do with Java because you can add extensions to any class. So we do this all over the place. Uh, it's also a nice thing where um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of functions, for example, on directly on context that some are available up until API version 21, and then others are available after version 23. And they do, and they require different parameters based on what version you're on. Mm -hmm. Well, in Kotlin, you can just wrap all of those in your own extension function. Always call your extension function version of those uh, methods, and you don't need to worry about the API levels, and you don't need to write a ugly utility class um, that that wraps those either. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's one of the been the, one of the most fun things is actually creating our own version of the Android APIs that we don't particularly like. And it's also a very good uh, kind of isolated, in a sense, area where to start as well, right? Yep, yep. Well, it's been great chatting with you. Thank you for taking the time, and uh, best of luck with the new things coming up in Basecamp. Thank you, appreciate it. Ooh.